prayer for Robert and his family as they're grieving their loss. And, and, that, and to that point, let, let's go ahead and pray. Lord, I, uh, I thank you, Jesus, that you are marked by the distinction and the character of being our everlasting Father. Lord, I feel like I've just begun to scratch the surface of the whole meaning of that, Lord. And I pray, Lord, this morning that you would empower us to hear from your spirit, God, that you would supernaturally make known to our hearts the depth and the height and the width of what it really means that you are, Jesus, our everlasting Father, that you have the full character of that. Lord, I pray, God, for the Fonseca family. I pray that you would be with them in, in the season of grief, even as we're celebrating the birth of your son, God, and And as Robert just shared, Lord, the hope that we have in you, Jesus, because you were born, God, to make atonement for us, to bring us into fellowship with you, Jesus. We praise you for the gift that you have have made yourself our Father and allowed and atoned for our access to you, Jesus. And Lord, I pray that you would be with all the families, Lord. Every Christmas, there are families who are suffering, God, There are families who are under stress, God. There are families that are experiencing loss or or on the precipice of loss, God. And I pray, Lord, for your grace and for your provision, even in the midst of, of all the celebration of Christmas. In your son's name, amen. So we are continuing in our Christmas series of the names of the Messiah, the names of Jesus. So let's go, let's read the, this amazing hallelujah chorus once again. You can, we can never read this too many times. It's just such a beautiful hallelujah chorus. In Isaiah chapter 9, starting in verse 6, it says, For to us a child is born, and to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness, from this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. The zeal of the Lord of the hosts will do this. The Messiah, the child who is born, the child who is given, he is our everlasting Father. But what does that mean? What does that mean that Jesus is our everlasting Father? Robert just got us straightened out last Sunday on who the Father is and who the Son is and who the Holy Spirit is, and they're one God and three distinct persons. And now here we we have this verse that says that Jesus is our eternal everlasting Father. Well, how, how do you reconcile that? I don't, I don't want you to get hung up on that. The simple answer is Jesus has all the characteristics of an everlasting father. He has all the characteristics of a loving father. I was thinking of our grandsons. We're, we get our grandsons tomorrow. <laughs> Camp Nana and Papa starting tomorrow with the grandboys. So, and I've noticed at times I can see the oldest one looking out for the other two, right? And even though he's a son, he's the son of my son, he still has a character. I can already see the character of the father in him as he looks out for his two little 
little brothers, and he'll, he'll, he's kind of rough with them in the way that he looks out for them. He'll grab hold of them and push them over to where they're safe, right? In kind of a rough way sometimes. But he's, he's got that. You can already see that. I can, I can foresee, I have this vision of them as teenagers, and I can see him as a teenager looking out for, for his little brothers, right? And he has the full care, already the character is already there at eight years old. I can still see that in him. And Christ very much has the character of a father. I was thinking about this in light of, well, you know, what does it mean? What is, what is that, that term father? Such a loaded term, right? It has so much meaning. For us in our own experience, sometimes it has really wonderful meaning. Sometimes for us, sadly, it can mean some hard things, right? But what, what does it mean, this idea of fatherhood and this everlasting father? And I, I was thinking about my dad, and I was thinking about what is it about my dad? What was unique? What's What's the masculine sense of the father's love? And, I, and the, the vision I have of my dad, and, and when I think of it in those terms, is just his strength. You know, he had just had this, he had this deep, confident strength. And even as, as a little kid, I remember thinking, you know what? No matter what was going on, no matter how crazy something might be, and I tell you, as a family, we had some crazy times, right? Um, think family vacation. That, that's our family, right? Um, but no matter what was going on, if the car was breaking down in the middle of the Mojave Desert, the big station wagon was breaking down, he would find a way, right? He would, he would happen to pull over the side and find the only shade in 200 miles of desert and pull over the side, and he'd crawl underneath the car and start taking stuff apart fearlessly. He was a fearless mechanic. He'd just strip stuff apart, and he would use whatever he had on hand and put it back together again, and we'd get back on the road, and he would just find a way. And with my dad, I think about that. He just had this way of making you feel like no matter what happened, he would just, he would figure it out. And I just had such a sense of safety, tinged with this edge of res- respectful fear, right? Because, you know, he was, he was strong, and, and I feared my dad in that way, just as, I, as the Lord, you know, is powerful and mighty, and he's not something, someone we take lightly. But I have memories of that, and... and it's interesting, Robert sharing. I, I feel like I'm like Lord. When can I when can I just deliver a message where I can just feel kind of just comfortable and detached and just give an academic message and not be so involved in it? And and this Sunday is not that Sunday <laughs> because my a year ago on Christmas Day my my father passed away. You know, Robert's got me started and. And now I'm here, and, and the, if there's one great fault my dad has, and one great fault that all of us fathers have, sooner or later, we, you know what? Our last day comes. You know, we pass away. We are not everlasting in this world, and our fathers are not everlasting in this world. But the claim here in this verse is that Jesus is our everlasting father. Think about that for a moment. All of the best things that you know from your father, all the greatest aspects of your father, Jesus is that and that perfectly and that more, and he is forever that for you who call upon his name, for you that put your hope and trust and faith on him, for you that wait upon him and look to him for your salvation. He is forever and everlasting your Father, and all the greatest sense of that word. Amen? Amen.
That's the message. I think we're done now. Look at this. Awesome. But you know, there's a wrinkle in that, right? I mean, so often life happens, right? And I don't have Jesus standing here in the flesh next to me like I had my dad, right? I can't run to Jesus in the way that I ran to my dad and put my arms around him and say, you know, Dad, what do I, you know, just tell me it's going to be okay. And yet I do have the Holy Spirit who's speaking to me, but life is challenging, life is difficult, life is hard. How do we experience, how do we know, how do we press into the full depth, the meaning of, of the fact that Jesus is our everlasting Father? Now, notice it says, from this time forth and forevermore. So he's not our Father somewhere out in eternity someplace. He is our everlasting Father right in the here and now. How do we lay hold of that? Isaiah asks that question repeatedly all the way through his book, over and over again. And it really comes to a head. Okay, spoiler alert, we're going we're gonna to go right to the whole climax of the entire book of Isaiah this morning. But don't worry, by the time we get to it again in, what, a year from now, Robert? <laughs> you will have forgotten it, and it will be a good review. And I'm just going to give you a top-line view of it. But it, this question comes to the head. Isaiah keeps asking the Lord, it's, this, is a, you know, this is a tough message you've given me, Lord. This is, we are living in tough times. We have all these nations that are coming in to invade us, to destroy us, to take us into captivity. This is a t- your people have fallen away from you. They've backslidden away from you. So many don't even worship in you. We've all fallen into idolatry. We serve idols. Lord God, how are you going to fix this? How are you going to put this together? Right, so that's the big question for this morning. How do we, in the midst of the rugged, hard, gritty parts of life, how do we understand and walk in the truth that Jesus is our everlasting Father? So let's go. Isaiah chapter 63, starting in verse 15. Isaiah has just been prophesying on how God is just going to judge his people. Right? And these armies are going to come in and invade. People are going to be taken away to captivity. And Isaiah is like, but, you know, you're our everlasting father. Where are you in all of this? Right? Where are you, Father, is kind of the question I read in this, starting in verse 15. Look down from heaven and see, from your holy and beautiful habitation. Where are, you, where are your zeal and your might? The stirring of your inner parts and your compassion are held back from me. Can you hear the, can you hear the passion and what, what Isaiah is saying there? Isaiah says, where are you, Father? Where's, where's your zeal? Where's your power? Where's your strength that saves? You know, where's the masculine love that swoops in and saves the day and rescues us? Where are you, Lord? Where's the passion of your heart, the compassion that you have for your people? They seem to be held back from me. Continue verse 16. For you are our Father, Though Abraham does not know us, and Israel does not acknowledge us, you, O Lord, are our Father. Our Redeemer from of old is your name. Isaiah is saying, look, Lord, he's claiming it, right? You are our Father. Even if we've drifted far from you, even if we've drifted from our traditions, and even if we've drifted from the faith that Abraham had, even if we've walked away from that and moved away from that, 
You're still our Father, Lord. Where are you in the midst of all this judgment and wrath and disaster that's coming on us? Verse 17, O Lord, why do you make us wander from your ways and harden our hearts so that we fear you not? Return for the sake of your servants, the tribes of your heritage. Your holy people held possession for a little while, but our adversaries have trampled down your sanctuary. We have become like those over whom you have, no, you have never ruled, like those who are called by your name. Isaiah, is, can you hear the desperation here? It's like almost as if, it's almost as if, Lord, we're at the point now we're just not even your people. The world cannot even recognize us as your people anymore. We've lost it all. We've lost our, our hope. We've lost, our, we've lost you, God. Where are you in the midst of all this? Notice in 17, there's a little bit of a nuance there uh, of, you know, he, he's, he's beginning to make the argument, and he will continue to make the argument, look, Lord, you're powerful. You have the power to change the hearts of men. So why aren't you changing our hearts, Right? Our hearts have grown cold and indifferent and we're moving further and further away from you. Why aren't you intervening and changing our heart? This gets into a little minor little issue called uh, predestination. All right. So Robert took on the Trinity last Sunday, so why not? We'll take on predestination this morning, right? Don't get, don't get freaked out by the word predestination. It just means predestination, okay? It's simple. God has predestined all things. And he gives us a choice and a decision to make. Well, how can both be true? Because God is God. All right? And we'll, we'll get into this in a little more detail in a little bit because he's, he's not going to leave it there. He's going to come back even a little bit stronger in terms of, Lord, what are you doing? You know, save us. Turn our hearts. Chapter 64, verse 1. Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down, that the mountains might quake at your presence, as when fire kindles brushwood and the fire causes water to boil, to make your name known to your adversaries and that the nations might tremble at your presence. Isaiah said, come on, Lord, come, come in, man. Bring, shake it up. Come in here, intervene. Step in. Destroy all these enemies that are coming in and invading us and tearing us down. Do you feel that like that at some times? You have moments in your life where you're going, Lord, what are you doing? Where are you in the mistake? How can this be glorifying to you? How can this be an edifying thing? How can this disaster be part of your will? This makes no sense to me. You are powerful and you love us, so where are you at? Won't you intervene with us? I was reading this passage and I I mean, thought of, because it, it the picture here is like a curtain, like the heavens are a curtain. And God is taking the curtain and ripping them open and coming in and making all things right. And it's like, why aren't you doing that? And I was thinking about that, and I was thinking about our grandson's course, which I think about a lot, as you can tell. Um, and we took, so one day, Don and I, we took our grandboys to the zoo, to the L.A. Zoo. And they have an amazing ape, uh, great ape display at the L.A. Zoo. So we're checking out these big old monster, you know, silverback, African gorillas that they have in this, in this display, and they're just awesome. These guys are, you know, they're just awesome gorillas. And they have these, and it's very natural looking, and their intent was to make it feel like you're very much sort of in their own natural space and, and 
It doesn't feel like they're encaged. Everything's like these acrylic, thick acrylic walls, and you can walk right up, and they're just there hanging there doing their thing. And so there's this big old, you know, senior, you know, silverback sitting there right up close to where their acrylic is. And, and I grab hold of the middle one, Nash, who's much the boldest one, and him and I go walking right up to take a look, check out this gorilla. And the older one, who's a bit wiser, even than granddad, kind of hung back a little bit. And we're up there, kind of nose pressed to the acrylic, and we're watching this guy, and he's sitting there, and he's just munching on these leaves. He's got this branch of leaves, and he's just munching. He's having his lunch. And he's just sitting there, and he's not looking at us. He's just, and I'm, and I'm you know, telling Nash about him and describing things. And at one point, I look at him. He looks back at me. I'm looking at him right in the eye, and simultaneously as I'm talking to Nash, I point at him. Oh, no. <laughs> no, 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 no. In gorilla language, first of all, you don't look at the senior dude in the eye, okay? The alpha gorilla, that's not somebody you look at in the eye. Number two, much less point at him. And he was not having it, let me tell you. It was like, boom, he threw his branch, he threw a bunch of grass up in the air, and he stood up right in front of Nash and I. So I'm looking eye to eye, this gorilla, and he gives us one of these, right? You know, right in our face. I'm like, I, I believe you. I, I, I believe you, man. Even though there's an acrylic right here, my, my fight or flight, it was like as high as it can possibly. So Nash and I are like stepping backwards slowly as this guy's like, don't mess with me, man. And of course, Tate's in the very back going, see, I told you guys, you shouldn't be up there taunting the, the silverbacks. But that's what Isaiah's like, where are you? You know, where's that alpha male power love, God, that you can so easily display? Where are you at in all this craziness? Verse 3, when, did, when you did awesome things that we did not look for, you came down the mountains, quaked at your presence. You've done it before, Lord. You've displayed your power and throughout our history. Where are you at now in the midst of all of this? Verse 4, from of old one has heard or perceived by the ear. Or from of old no one has heard or perceived by the ear. No eye has seen a God beside you who acts for those who wait for him. Okay, what Isaiah is saying right there is he's saying, look, for those who wait on him, there's only one God who shows up the way that God shows up. There's only one God who shows up that the God of the Hebrew shows up. There's only one God who shows up with the kind of power and love that Jesus shows up with. There's no other God that can compare to that. So it's a stark contrast, right? There's a big contrast in what, what uh, Isaiah is saying. is like, look, if you don't show up, no one else is. You're our only and last hope. Okay? No, I, no, let me read again. From of old, no one has heard or perceived by the ear, no eye has seen a God beside you. There's nobody who can compare to you. There's only one God who can save us. We only have salvation through one person, and his name is Jesus Christ. Amen? It's interesting because Paul quotes this passage and in light of the full revelation of Jesus and in the light of the Holy Spirit, he gives it a deeper, deeper meaning. And I'll just go there real quickly. Um, if I can find it real quick. 
It's in 1 Corinthians 2, 9. Paul said, But as it is written, what, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit, for the Spirit searches er everything, even the depth of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given to us. And he goes on to say that, and then we teach from that platform. So here's what Paul's saying. Paul's adding a nuance here and saying, look, not only is there no other God who can save us besides Christ himself, he's also saying, you know what? We can't understand that. We can't comprehend that. We can't really know the full depth of that unless we have the Holy Spirit in us to impart that reality and truth in us. So if you want to understand what it means for that Jesus is our everlasting Father, you need to be a believer. You need to surrender your life to Christ. You need to put your hope and faith in Him and wait on Him, and He will give you His Holy Spirit. And it's the Holy Spirit that He gives us that cry. What does Scripture say? That we cry out, Abba, Father. It's the Holy Spirit that enables us to have that deep gut-level understanding of what it means that Jesus is our everlasting Father. So, if, if you know, a, a point of application here, if you're feeling kind of dry in that way, you're feeling disconnected from the Father, you're like, Jesus, I, I believe in you, I know you're the Son, I know that you are God in the flesh, but I'm, I, I'm missing you, Lord. Where are you? Maybe take a moment and say, Holy Spirit, teach me. Commute, commute to me in my deep spirit something that even my brain can't quite really understand and understand that on a deep level. Amen? So let's continue back to, uh, to our passage in Isaiah. I'm going 64, verse 4, uh, verse 5. You meet him who joy you, meaning God, meet him who joyfully works righteousness, those who remember you in your ways. Behold, you are angry, and we sinned. In our sins we have been a long time, and shall we be saved? He keeps asking this question, Lord, I, help me out here, Father. I, we, we have sinned, and we have sinned, and we have sinned. And shall we be saved, Father? Do you find yourself asking that question at times? Do you doubt your, your position with the Lord? Do you doubt who you belong to? Do you doubt whether or not you're a child of the Lord? Do you ask the, in, your, in your time with the Lord, in your secret time with him, do you, do you question, Lord, shall I be saved? Verse 6, we have all become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. We all fade like a leaf, and our iniquities like the wind take us away. There is no one who calls upon your name, who rouses himself to take hold of you. For you have hidden your face from us, and have made us melt in the hands of our iniquity. To me, that language is so descriptive. Have you ever in your life, like, really blown it? Like, just blown it, and you know you blew it, and you're like, oh, Lord, I, 
I feel so bad. I feel horrible. I've just blown it. And you just, your, your heart just feels like it's just melting. Your will, your strength just feels like it's melting in the hands of iniquity. And you're just kind of along for the ride. And you've just, you've blown it. And there's nothing you can do to reel it back in. There's nothing you can do to pull it back in. And now you're just at the hands of it. And you're just feeling all the fallout from it. And you just, and it just melts you. And you just feel powerless, right? Am I the only one here that experiences that? <laughs> and that's what Isaiah is feeling. Uh, what I love about scripture is it's real. This is real life. These aren't people living up on some white tower someplace. This is, this is real life. And Isaiah is feeling all of these things. Verse 9, but not so terribly angry, O Lord, and remember... Be not so terribly angry, O Lord, and remember not iniquity forever. Behold, please look, we are your people. Your holy cities have become a wilderness. Zion has become a wilderness. Jerusalem a desolation. Our holy and beautiful houses where our fathers praised you has been burned by fire, and all our pleasant places have been, become ruins. Will you restrain yourself at these things, O Lord? Will you keep silent and afflict us so terribly? Where are you, Father? Life is hard. Life is difficult. People pass away. On Christmas Day, of all days, people pass away. Life is difficult. Life is hard. Bad things happen. Things that we didn't look for or expect happen. Where are you, Father? You're our everlasting Father. You're powerful. You're mighty. You could, you could rip this thing apart right now and make it all right. Why don't you? What is the answer of the Lord? The answer of the Lord begins in the beginning of chapter 65. I was ready to be sought by those who did not forsake me. I was ready to be found by those who did not seek me. I said, here I am, here I am, to a nation that was not called by my name. What's Jesus' answer? I'm right here. I haven't gone anywhere. Here I am. This really reminds me, Jesus repeats the same thing in very much the same context hundreds of years later, in, uh, and it's recorded in Matthew, in the flesh, Jesus has just declared all kinds of judgment on the leadership of Israel. Right? Jesus has just, just declared, and he's speaking to the Pharisees, look, you guys have blown it big time and woe to you. Meaning, woe is not a good word. If God says woe to you, that's not a good thing. That means judgment, okay? So he's just been declaring judgment on the religious leaders of the day because their hearts are far from God. They're just practicing, you know, false religion, legalism, but their hearts are completely far from God. And, he's, and Jesus is saying, woe to you. And then he finishes these woes with this phrase in verse 37 of Matthew 23. He says, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you are not willing. Can you hear the grief there? The passion of the Lord, of the everlasting Father? You bet you're not willing. You know, turn to me. Seek me. With all your Jeremiah says, seek me. Jeremiah says, you know what? You're going to be in Babylon for 70 years. And after 70 years, the Spirit of the Lord is going to empower you 
and you're going to seek him. And he's going to turn your heart. And Jeremiah says, if you seek the Lord, you'll find him. Jesus is saying, look, hey, I'm right here. I haven't gone anywhere. And yes, this life is hard. Life is difficult. Bad things happen. Jesus said, in the world you will have tribulation. But what? But take heart, for I have overcome the world. I'm right here, man. I am right here. And you may not understand what's going on. It may not make sense to you. Yes, it's tragic. And yes, there are bad, evil things that are happening right now that you're not going to understand. But I haven't gone anywhere. I'm right here. And if you seek me, you will find me. If you wait for me, I'll be there. Right? If you're patient, if your ground zero, if your bottom line is, no matter what happens, Lord, I'm just going to wait on you. You know what? I'll be there. I love the, the, the verse. I, I'll paraphrase it. I didn't, I didn't write it down. But a passage in Isaiah actually says, even youths will grow weary, and young men will fall exhausted. But those who wait on the Lord, they will mount up with wings like eagles. They will run and not be weary. They will walk and they will not faint. Right? What's the difference? Those who wait upon the Lord. Because he's right here. He's saying, here I am. I am right here. And I'm holding my hand out even to a sinful people who reject me continuously. What does he say? He says, uh, let me go back. Verse 2, he says, I spread out my hand all the day to re rebellious people who walk in a way that is not good, following their own devices, a people who provoke me to my face continually, sacrificing in gardens and making offerings on bricks, who sit in tombs and spend the nights in secret places, who eat pig's flesh and broth of tainted meat in their vessels, who say, keep to yourself, do not come near me, for I am too holy for you. Isn't that interesting? There's that self-righteous, legalistic, religious attitude that says, hey, don't come near me. I'm too holy, man. I'm so holy you can't even touch me. Right? And God has said, you are... You are an idolater who, make, who drinks pig's blood. And, and, and he goes, huh. Um, These are smoke in my nostrils, a fire that burns all the day. Behold, it is written before me. I will, need, I will not keep silent, but I will repay. I will indeed repay into, into their lap. Both your iniquities and your father's iniquities together, says the Lord. Because they made offerings on the mountains and insulted me on the hills, I will measure into their lap payment for their former deeds. All right, this is serious, right? The Lord's not playing, okay? He is right here. He's saying, I am right here. But understand this, seek me and you'll find me. Put your hope and faith and trust in me and you will have life eternal. I will be your everlasting father. But renounce me, reject me, Resist the Holy Spirit throughout your entire life to cry me. Well, you're facing judgment, right? 
And we've got to be real about this. Jesus is not playing. And if you've confessed his name, if you've called upon him to save your soul, if you've bowed your knee to his lordship, then you are his. And he is your father. He is your everlasting father. And there's nothing, Paul says, there's nothing that can separate us from the love of God. No height, no depth, no width, no angel, no anything created, no anything that has existed, will exist, or, or will exist. None of thing can separate us from the love of God. But if you never get there, if you've never gotten to that point in your life where you have put your hope and faith and trust in him, then Jesus only has judgment as a righteous father who judge, judges rightly. But for those of us who are being saved, we have an everlasting father. Even when we rebel, even when we're in the midst of rejection, even though God's people are in full-on idolatry, Right? And completely rejecting him. I think of Jesus saying, you know, I stretch my hands out to you. And instead you hand me over to sinners to, to nail nails into my hands on the cross. But that's how much I love you. And that's why I continue to stretch my hand out to you. Even you who are my children, I am your everlasting father. And I am now today, this morning, once again, stretching my hand out to you and saying, look, I love you. Will you surrender yourself to me? Will you turn over that thing, that doubt, that fear, that desire that you think is so important? Will you give that over to me once again and trust me with it? I am the giver of good gifts. I'm the one who provides the ultimate Christmas morning, right? Are, how many of us the day after Christmas, maybe even for some of us, even Christmas afternoon are going to feel that, you know, that annual Christmas letdown. Like, really? It's already over? And that was it? And you kind of got this sort of half-empty feeling like, aw, you know, now we've got to clean up and get ready for New Year's, right? Oh, well, we can, we can kind of medicate ourselves by focusing on New Year's, right? But Jesus is the everlasting Father. His gifts are new every single morning. His mercies are new every single morning. He's our everlasting Father. And blessed are we who wait upon him, who put our hope and faith and trust in him ongoing on a daily basis. So what's the bottom line here? Where does this leave Isaiah? Is it, is it, is it a hopeless situation? Is it just judgment, judgment? Verse 8, the Lord says, Thus says the Lord, as the new wine is found in the cluster, and they say, do not destroy it, for there is a blessing in it, so I will do for my servant's sake, and not destroy them all. He will not destroy them all. Hope. I will bring forth offspring from Jacob, and from Judah, possessors of my mountains. My chosen shall possess it, and my servants shall dwell there. Sharon shall become a pasture for flocks, and the valley of Achor, a place for herds to lie down, for my people who have sought me. You know what? God has so much for each one of us who have sought him and who continue to seek him and will continue to seek him. And, the, and by the way, it's the Holy Spirit. It's the supernatural power and act of God that will enable us to continue to seek him 
It's not our strength. If it were up to me, Lord, take me right now because I'm going to blow it, and I'm going to blow it bad, okay? If it's up to me, I can't get there, Lord. Even as a fully redeemed believer, I still I can't get there. But it's not up to me. It's not up to each one of us. It's up to Christ. And it's Christ who brings, Scripture says that Christ will deliver us holy and perfect before the Father in that great day. He will do it. Isaiah is absolutely right. God has the power to change hearts and to mold us into what he wants us to be. He is the potter, we are the clay. He will do that. He will do the work. What's our job? Our job is to wait on him and to trust him, knowing that he is our everlasting father. Amen? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I just... hmm. I don't want to just say words, Lord. God, I want to just turn my heart once again to you, Jesus. Father, there is so much noise in this world. There are so many things that clamor for the affections of our heart, Lord. And yet, Lord, there is one thing, God, that will satisfy us. There is one Father who loves us in great power, And it is you, Lord Jesus. Lord God, we just surrender once again to your will, to your power. We surrender our lives to you, trusting that you are making a new thing. Trusting that you are changing our hearts little by little, God. You are forming us into your image. Lord, remind us as we go through this holiday season, as we experience the joys And the letdowns, the blessings and the griefs, Father, remind us that you are our everlasting Father, Jesus, that we can trust you in the good and the bad, Father. We love you, Jesus, in your son's name. Amen.